Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 22. This episode is in two parts. In this episode, we focus on finance. And in the next episode, we focus on music. That is episode 22.1 and will be released this Wednesday. Before I introduce our guest, I want to take a moment to thank our listener in Hong Kong. I don't know who you are, but it cheers me up each week when I see the download pop up from Hong Kong. So thank you for listening, and I hope one day I'll get to meet you. And also, thank you to my Patreon patrons. The patrons make the biggest impact for this show. If you want to become one, Visit artisticfinance.com, where you can also find a link to our gift shop, where we have mugs and t-shirts and, of course, face masks. Today's guest is musician and composer Jeff Gersh. Before COVID, he was performing live music to silent films monthly at the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. He has also been playing electric zither for the Blue Man Group since 1998 and subbed on Broadway's Rock of Ages from 2012 through 2015. He creates music through his moniker, Ambient Fields. While New York City was under quarantine, he visited every single neighborhood in New York City, over 375 locations, and made a field recording to document the quieter city. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Jeff Gersh, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And I want to say that it's September 22nd, 2020, so we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic and also the Black Lives Matter reawakening. Yep, yep. Crazy times, definitely. Could you give us a recap of your life and career and how you got to where you are right now? Wow. Okay. So I have pretty much been playing music my whole life. I started playing piano when I was around seven years old. Um, and prior to that, I just was obsessed with music. I would, you know, sit in front of the radio, in front of the, you know, the little boom boxes and just listen to whatever rock radio stations were around from the New York City area back in the like early 80s. Uh, not to date myself. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, music has just played a huge, huge role in my life from pretty early on. And I was forced into playing piano. That's just what my mother wanted me to do. And at, at, at first I wasn't completely opposed to it, but after a couple of years and learning like cheesy little pop songs and TV theme songs, my teacher tried pushing the classical music on me. And, uh, you know, as, as a, I don't know, nine or 10 year old, that's not where my head was at. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I was more into the rock and early hard rock, heavy metal that was happening around then. And yeah, so classical piano just was not cool to me. <laughs> um, yep. So I quit. I quit piano. That's when I picked up the guitar. I just asked my parents if I could take guitar lessons, and kind of to my surprise, they said yes. How long were you taking piano lessons, and then how old were you when you started the guitar? Okay, so I started piano at seven. And I think I quit when I was around 10, so three, about three years, maybe. So you could still play it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a piano player, but I definitely, I could sit down and noodle around. And and I I have a keyboard here in my studio that I I sometimes use for projects, but but I would not, yeah, I would (laughs) not call myself a piano player. Yeah. But the foundation that I had on the piano helped me on the guitar all the way through college for a very, very long time, you know, especially in theory classes when you're, you know, building chords and like I would visualize the piano because the piano, you know, it's very symmetrical. So that's how my brain thought for a very long time. Even on the guitar, I would still picture the piano. Um, so that, that foundation that I had was, I mean, I'm thankful for it, you know. It, you know, got me to learn how to read at a pretty young age. Yeah, basic theory. So, you know, there's a lot that I learned that I absorbed from those piano lessons a lot more than I thought that I that I encountered later on the guitar. And, and I, you know, yeah, I'm very glad that I had that uh, foundation prior to the guitar. So, yeah, so I, I quit around 10. And then I, when I, I think I was like 11 when I started playing guitar. It's like in the sixth, sixth grade. And, uh, yeah, I still remember very well my first guitar lesson. I, I Even though I'm a righty, I picked up the guitar and held it lefty. That's just what felt right. And that's what I was doing in my bedroom with my tennis racket guitar. Yeah. You know? 
yeah. then yeah, my teacher's like, oh, you know, flip it around, and if there's any problems, we'll, we'll deal with it. There weren't any problems, and from that day on, I really knew that that would be a big part of my life. That's amazing. So then, going forward, did you go to school for music? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I took private lessons all throughout high school, and then I went to um, SUNY New Paltz, where I studied jazz guitar. SUNY New Paltz is in upstate New York. So I studied jazz guitar there. And even though that's that's what I studied, it's not something I ever really pursued uh, as far as like full on jazz guitar. Uh, you know, there's many things I love about jazz. Um, even while I was studying that, I, I was on a very different path. I was really <clears throat> more into experimental music and using the guitar to make sounds that you might not associate with the guitar. But at the same time, you know, there's all, all I'm just open to all different kinds of music no matter what it is no matter what genre if it's if it makes me feel something if it speaks to me it'll it'll hold my interest i uh just geographical questions here you, you might have said this and i wasn't paying attention you grew up in new york city where in new york city actually no i did not i was born in new york city but then grew up in the suburbs about an hour north of the city uh, in um, rockland county okay yeah so that's that's pretty much where i spent my childhood but i my parents would take me into the city quite a bit when I was a kid because both my parents are from the city. They grew up in the city. My father in Queens, my mother in Bronx, and then Yonkers, which is where I live now. I'm, I'm a suburban kid <laughs> who, who tried who, who try to spend as much time in the city as possible. Got it, yeah. Well, you're very close, very easy to do. <laughs> okay, so then you went to New Paltz, studied jazz, and then you got your degree in jazz, and then what did you do after that? You know, then it was time to dive in and try to make it work, make a living as a musician. My plan and my initial plan was to stay in New Paltz for at least the summer, but my, my housing situation didn't work out the way I thought it would. I had some cats and the landlord that I, the, the house that I was wanted to move into would not allow cats. And then it kind of made me stop and think, do I really want to stay up here? I mean, New Paltz is an amazing, amazing, beautiful place. While I definitely cannot afford to move straight into the city so i moved i moved home for the summer had part-time jobs you know got like a couple of different jobs that would just sustain me i guess for context would you mind if i play a little bit of some of your music yeah, yeah absolutely uh, just so people sort of know what your i don't know thing is because it's I, I i don't know how to describe it per se yeah, yeah absolutely if you had to pick one of your things to play what would you suggest the, the album olaf's Fjorder on my ambient fields website okay um it's it's music that i created while i was in iceland but it's it's a pretty good representation of how i use the guitar you know i guess in non-traditional ways and and really creating soundscapes and beds of ambient sounds so it's, it's very rare that I, I you know i don't really like sit down and listen to my music every now and then um uh, I, I apply to like music residencies and for grants so you know i listen i have to submit work samples and so when i hear this music it just takes me right back to this small little town in iceland yeah it is funny because when i listen to it like i don't have any reference to it other than iceland i also go to a small town in iceland well that's completely fictional you know because yep, i've never been yep, there yep yep everyone here here's a little snippet of olaf's fjorder <laughs> I'll say. Yeah. Yep. 
I know you said you didn't want to date yourself, but here's the part where I asked you to describe your demographics. Okay. Uh, I am a Caucasian male, 40. I will be 47 years old in about two months, less than two months. So I'm 46 at the moment. I'm single. Life life has been crazy even before this pandemic. And while there are many people in this world that make their work and personal life merge, uh, I don't know. I just really choose to focus on my my music. And and that can be hard, you know, in the past couple of relationships I've had. Things come up where I have to go to a rehearsal, but my girlfriend, you know, oh, well, we have these plans, you know, so. Okay. All right. So we've heard a little of your music. Oh, actually, side questions. You said you had a steady gig. What was your steady gig before this? November would be 22 years. I've, I've been playing in the off-Broadway show in New York City called Blue Man Group. We know this show. Surprisingly, <laughs> there's a lot of people that don't, especially in New York City. Like, you'll mention Blue Man, and like, I don't know. But as soon as you show them a photo of those bald blue guys, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know. or Arrested Development. It's such a through line there. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> That's what I know of Blue Man Group. Yeah, and it's, it was kind of, it's kind of funny because... I watched that show while I was at work. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of funny to be watching those episodes and then having a real live blue man standing right next to you, watching it with you. You know, so yeah, no, that, 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 yeah, it was great. So you played guitar, electric guitar for that? actually mainly electric zither. Oh, I don't know what a zither is. Most people don't. Um, the zither that we play, it's it's based off of like old, uh, I don't know, like German guitar zithers, Bavarian guitar zithers. And it, it has a harp on the top part, and then and the, do you know what a lap steel guitar is? Nope. Or if you, any of the listeners know what a lap steel guitar is, just picture six lap steel guitars side by side, but kind of mushed together, so the strings are grouped together pretty pretty close together. Each grouping of strings is tuned to a different chord. And the, yeah, and again, the top part is a harp. It's like a two and a half octave. Um, E major scale and we play it with a slide and finger picks and through a bunch of guitar pedals and you know so it has it had, the, the way we approach playing it it's a very like rock um, rock music kind of style with with some textural moments thrown in there as well so we sort of know your creative personality a little bit but I'm going to ask more questions about it what is a live event that you like to personally experience I mean of course music I love live music there's there's nothing like being in a room and feeling the music whether it's and you know it could be the most mellow quiet two or three years ago i got got to see radiohead for the first time in madison square garden you know huge huge venue you know they got they they were playing so quiet at times and the whole space was just silent and it's just just such an amazing experience to be in the same room as musicians like that and 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 share that moment and and then all the on the other side of the spectrum i i really like a lot of like loud heavy metal music as well to to physically feel that music is also amazing and special uh film as well i love going to see movies um they inspire me in ways that music doesn't because you know there's just so many other elements involved you know because when i go see music even if even if there's a a light show and visuals a lot of times you know i'm just kind of closing my eyes and it's really about the sound for me you know so obviously with with anything visual it's just that's a whole different thing and it makes me think and feel things in a very different way than just sound. Those are the two main ways I consume live events. When you say live film, does that mean going in a theater is important or just watching anywhere? No, theater, going to a theater. Whether it's a newer movie or even older movies, you know, there's a lot of great theaters in New York City that that show. So no, I, I really do. I like the experience of a big screen. The loud moments are meant to be loud. The quiet moments are meant to be quiet. You know, to be in a space that's designed and set up for that listening and viewing experience, that's important to me. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What is a piece of art that you like? Well, there, there's a piece by uh, Rene Magritte. I'm blanking at what it's called now. I think it might be called The Lovers or The Kiss. It's basically a, a painting uh, of these of a man and a woman embracing like they're kissing, but they both have like, you know, like canvas bags over their head. So it's like they're really close, but they're actually physically can't touch, even though they're embracing. And yeah, I don't know. Like the first time I saw that, I, I, I think it was in the moment where I saw it. It just spoke to me. Uh, it's a beautiful piece it's and but it's also kind of dark you know it's 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 like these people that clearly want each other but they can't really 
do exactly what they want to do or you know there's there's just still this distance in between them i'll, I'll find a, a picture of that and i'll post it with your episode link so what keeps you motivated to keep working uh on those days that you don't feel like it if i have a deadline that's the motivation you know deadlines are important for me because if i don't have a deadline it could be yeah it could be hard it could be hard you know there's a lot of procrastination that happens um but but no overall in, in general my motivation is i, I i'm i really love what I do and I'm really beyond thankful and feel blessed to be able to do what I do I don't know life life could be a lot different you know uh, just very lucky to be able to to be surviving as as a musician you know and, and a lot of that does have to do with my my day job quote-unquote at Blue Man because um, a lot of the more I guess experimental stuff that I do you know that doesn't always earn a livable wage but no, just just the people around me motivate me. Again, going to see other art, music, film, that motivates me. Just being in New York City, you know, you could walk down a street, drive somewhere, and get motivation. Okay, so that's your creative personality. Now let's get into your financial personality. All right, all right. <laughs> I know you're really excited to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Are you good or bad with money? That all depends. Uh, I've been both very bad and pretty good. With money, you know, I I guess when I got into college, you know, you get they they throw credit cards at you, right? You know, that could be a dangerous thing for uh, a kid, quote unquote. I want to consider myself to have been irresponsible with money, but yeah, you know, I, I kind of learned the hard way at pretty young that you know you get bills after you buy these things. <laughs> with. I know it seems silly, yeah. So you know, I I've, I've had my moments in my yeah early twenties where I was not so good with, with the finances. I was going to say, are you a saver or a spender? It really depends. What I'm doing in life, where I want to go in life, what I might need, what I might want. Um, I definitely do my best to not live beyond my means. You know, I'm not going to go out and spend crazy amounts of money on, I don't know, a vacation or whatever. Are you risk averse or a risk taker? You know, as, as, you know, as a musician, I'm an improviser. I really, that's, that's what I consider myself to be I'm an improviser and I react in the moment you know to what's happening in the moment and try to respond appropriately in, in other areas of my life I try to do that as well and sometimes I respond properly sometimes I don't you know again you know as as I get older and you know and, and this I think I, I could tie this into my my job of having a steady job you know a steady gig in New York City which uh, again I'm very grateful for and feel blessed to have to have had for so long I, I guess in the back of my mind I always know okay yeah you got that paycheck coming as opposed to more you know I know a lot of people that are freelance and it's a lot more of a hustle I don't know maybe I, I, I've been spoiled I've been able to count on this job for so long you've had it for 22 years has that been six days a week for 22 years or have you take time off or how does that work I have to do a minimum amount of shows every week uh, I have to do a minimum of seven shows. Again, we're unlike Broadway, where they're, you know, that's a union thing and they have a set amount. They do eight shows a week. We are not a union show. And we could do anywhere from, on average, I would say we do 11 shows a week. But uh, when, when like the, the holidays, we could do 22 shows a week. I do my minimum. I do my seven shows and whatever's left over, the part-time musicians get those shows. So, so even, you know, even for part-timers, like a job like at Blue Man is... I won't call it steady, but they they know they'll they know they'll get a certain amount of work each month. Depending on the show schedule, I could work anywhere from four to five days a week. You know, because we have doubles and triples. So yeah, like my my usual show schedule, work schedule would be something like like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I would get six shows out of the way, or you know, five five or six shows out of the way, because on Saturday Saturdays and Sundays we have like doubles and triples. And then I would work, yeah, so Friday through Sunday and then like one or two days during the week. And it was never like completely set. Like I usually worked the weekends because then I could get the most shows done in a short period of time. But then, yeah, Monday through Thursday, that could change week to week. It could depend on other things that I was doing outside of the show. Also, my, my the part-timers. You know, that, that was one of the great things about that job. It was very, very flexible. So if I had another gig that I wanted to do or if I wanted to travel... It was pretty easy to get the time off. You make you're painting a nice picture for musicians. Everybody should become a musician. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you could find a gig like that, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I'm very aware of how lucky I am to have that gig. Yeah, amazing. 
Okay. Growing up, did you have good financial examples? Yeah, I, I did. My parents, you know, they both worked. Knowing about my grandparents' situation, you know, they, they came here from Poland. I know, I know it was before World War II. They got, they got out of there. Uh, but, you know, like kind of a typical immigrant story where they came here with very little and made a, made a good, comfortable life for themselves. You know, worked their butts off, raised a family. You know, and I think that that kind of that way of, of thinking of, of work, the work ethic, you know, was definitely passed on to my mother and my father. Same thing. You know, there are a lot of things I wanted as a kid that my parents wouldn't buy me, you know, and definitely not spoiled. But. We were well provided for. I don't think I always follow that example because I've, I've I've had I've had my moments of I have been in debt, you know, more so than I should have been and would have liked to have been, and you know, but I got myself out of those situations and definitely definitely learned from it. Amazing. Have you had any health challenges throughout your life? Thankfully, no. I'm very very blessed, very lucky to yeah not and even even you know, approaching 47, knock on something, things things are things are okay right still. So okay, you're gonna say it depends to this question, but when you have excess money, where do you put it? I could put it towards a new uh, musical instrument purchase, like I did last week. Yeah, something related to music, I might save it. It does depend. Depends what, what what's going on. I, I, I do I do try to save as much as I can. Okay, wait, I have, I have a I have a twist to the question. How about when when you save money? Where does that money go? Is it like a checking account, savings account, or investing somewhere? Usually a savings account or checking and savings. Um, I could again, depending how big the chunk of change is. You know, I might, you know, I see my checking account. Yeah, that pays the bills that like pays for my nights out, you know, and the savings like that's that's really, you know, for rainy day stuff. Well, just going back to my job, uh, you know, that <laughs> that job has been the quote unquote real job. My parents always wanted me to get, you know, when, when we were, you know, when we were arguing about me getting a real job, you know, that gives me the benefits and all that other stuff. Blue Man has given me all that, you know. So through Blue Man, I have a 401k. I guess I'll say it as, you know, contribute to it in a more aggressive way, you know, knowing that this is for, you know, way down the road. And I know a lot of people that are really good with like the market and investing and understand all that stuff. And I've never really been good with understanding exactly how all that stuff works. I've read about, I tried reading about it and, so as far as saving in that sense and with investments, my 401k is my main thing. Outside of that, uh, you know, it's the checking and the savings account. And, and hopefully, I will, hopefully I won't regret that at some point. You won't. You won't. <laughs> you know, every now and then some, um, I don't know what you call them, advisors would come visit us at Blue Man to like go over our plans and, you know, advise us, you know, okay, either, yeah, you're doing good or try this, try that. You know, it's always the same thing. Oh, you know, this is, you know, you have years to worry. But then it's like, okay, well, what if I need the money and something like 9-11 happens or something like COVID happens? You know, what then, you know? And But whatever, you know, can't, can't, I don't dwell on that. I don't really, I don't lose sleep overnight about that stuff. It's, it's nothing you could do about it. But that, that is, that is my main, like, bed of savings, you know, as far as long-term investment things. Um, okay, so this answer is probably different because of COVID. So maybe you can answer pre-COVID or or not answer at all. Do you worry or think about money on a daily basis? Even even in like the pre-COVID, there have been times where I yes, I have because of I don't know. I want to go on a scuba diving trip somewhere, and how am I going to make that work? And you know, but not not like put it all on the credit card, and you know, because I really try not to like. <clears throat> fall back on that kind of stuff like you know I, I like i said i learned my lesson and i i don't want to repeat um getting into that kind of debt so throughout like your life career i guess since college have you used a budget at all or are you just freewheeling pretty much pretty much freewheeling i've read about key, like doing the budget thing and I don't know. I don't know if I'd even say I've tried. I've thought about it, you know. <laughs> but no, yeah. I, yeah. I think this kind of goes back to my imp- improvisational ways. As a yeah, as a musician, I've really gravitated to doing things that allow me to just be in the moment and react in the moment. And and I, I really whether it makes sense or not, or it's 
a good way to approach life in general. That's that's really, I don't I don't plan too much. I don't I don't I don't like think too far ahead in terms of like you know like if I'm going to go on a vacation I don't plan out every moment of every day you know it's like I I need room for happy accidents <laughs> if if you want to look at it that way so so no I've never I guess the closest to do like you know having you know coming up with a budget is when all of this covid stuff started and I lost my job and I was like wow okay like Am I going to like survive on unemployment or things going to be okay? So, yeah, I mean, and I have done this before. Yeah, I've sat down and, you know, listed like my fixed monthly expenses. But I guess, yeah, I've never really worried about it before like I have now. Yeah, I I think one good thing about money and finance is that it's actually not complicated. The basics are pretty easy, like keeping a budget. It's like, well... Just make sure you don't spend as much as you earn. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, because I don't know, I think my life is fairly simple in terms of, I don't I don't feel like I've ever, you know, I don't have properties here and there and multiple cars. And so, I don't know, every, everything that I really need to know and think about and worry about, I could just, just do that in my head. I've never really felt the need to like write it out or use, use one of those, you know, software to kind of help me keep track of that stuff. What is a fantastic financial decision that you've made? Uh, probably investing as as the the maximum amount in my four hundred one k. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. When when the whole <laughs> crazy financial crisis happened, what twelve years ago, putting more money into it instead of less, because you know uh, someone that I used to work with, he, he's he's one of those guys that I was talking about who was like really good with the market and fi- investing. And he explained it to me is like, you know, you got to look at it when things are bad. It's like a, it's like something is on sale. And that's when you want to throw some money to it because it will it will get better, you know. So for, for a period of time, yeah, I, I bumped up the amount that I was contributing to my 401k. I mean, in the long run, I, I don't know exactly what kind of impact that had, but probably wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think I kept it there. Actually, I might have decreased it a little bit at some point. Outside of that, I don't do much with investing, and so I, I would say that's that's probably one of the better things that I've done. That's really cool. So, like people say, two thousand eight financial, but it could be anywhere between two thousand seven and two thousand twelve. Like, at what point along there did you bump it up? Like, was there a- specifically in in I think it was the end of two thousand eight? It, it was like probably one of the first time that Blue Man was going to lay people off um, because like a lot of companies industries you know we were we were suffering less people were coming to the show and um you know it was noticeable you know i mean things have always been a little up and down but it was like whoa something something's weird you know and and we were basically brought in like um this was like right before thanksgiving around we were all told that we were going to have meetings with the like the, the big wigs of the company each department had their meetings. So we were brought into a room and we were basically told that after the new year, not all of you are going to have a job. And I was like, what? You know, it was, it was, it was frightening, you know, because again, you know, a job like Blue Man, you know, you get very comfortable there. Yeah. And for a long time, that show, you know, it, I mean, it's still, it's still popular, but there was a time where it just seemed like, it, you know, nothing could hurt it. Nothing could... <laughs> make it fall so that that was a pretty frightening moment thankfully i survived that i'm not really sure how i didn't lose my job but some things did change my for a certain period of time my salary was reduced i had to work a little bit more like doing a little uh, one extra show a week but that is when i i wouldn't say i wrote you know got a budget together but i really thought about okay less money you know you still have a job so you know, how, and you know, and some changes that I made, uh, you know, um, like at work, in between shows, you could order food, and I stopped doing that. You know, just to have a little bit more control of of like where my money went and or, you know how I spent it. So that that is that is specifically when I started contributing a little bit more into my four hundred one k because after having a conversation with this guy, when he put it that way, I was like, okay, if I tighten my belt a little bit. Even with like taking home a little bit less money, but knowing that some of that money is helping me in the long run, this will be fine. Okay. And you may have answered this question already with credit card debt or debt, but what is a 
terrible financial decision that you've made. Just just buying things, uh, you know, buying guitars, buying equipment that I absolutely should not have bought because I did not have the money to do it. And I put it on a credit card, did that multiple times. Um, material things that I've... Though, you know, I, I don't consider my my instruments straight up material things because they're your tools yeah, yeah but i mean you know i have 20 something guitars do i need all of those i mean no but at the same time they're all very different it's like lights like you know colors red isn't green and green isn't red and you know just because i have no idea how much is a guitar what is your cheapest guitar and what is your most expensive guitar? My cheapest guitar was is $100, uh, like a Fender Squire made in China, I think. Cheap $100 guitar, but it's actually a pretty sweet guitar, like I, for what it is. Uh, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Like a lot of times guitars like that, you know, they're, they're junk and you know that. I bought it years ago to practice like working on guitars, like to like fixing guitars and, but I, but I don't know, I, I wound up liking it so much that I keep it as my, I literally keep it in my kitchen. It's like leaning up against my table and I like just noodle on it. And my most expensive guitar, I think is um, probably about $2,000. Like none, none of the instruments that I have are super expensive, are probably won't ever really be worth anything down the road. I mean, I have I have a couple of instruments that are very very old from like like the the fifties I think, and the sixties, but they're not considered collectors, you know, co um, collectible instruments. And that that's not like my motivation for purchasing instruments, you know. I mean, I I play the guitar. That's what I'd like to do. Um, if one day one of my guitars happens to be worth enough to like sell and help me buy a house that would be amazing you know but that's 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 not going to happen i mean you know i would not you know going back to what you you know talking about like making bad decisions financial decisions i would never go out and spend ten thousand dollars on a guitar ever unless i really had the means to do that you know the, the the guitars that i have purchased that i really shouldn't have purchased at the time you know i guess in the back of my mind i'm like yeah i know i shouldn't do this but i know it's not going to like ruin my life, fi my financial life. It might screw me over for a little bit. Well, no, you know, I, I don't think I even really thought that, you know, because it's like, whoa, I want that guitar. <laughs> you know? And also they're not temporary things. No, I, I mean, it, 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 it could be, you know, I could, I, you know, in the past, I could have sold some of these guitars to like pay off some debt faster. Every guitar that I have, I have for a very specific reason. And I, I guess I, I'll say I get attached to that guitar for that specific reason. If I get rid of it, that there's going to be a hole. Even even if it's a guitar that I, you know, it's not like I sit around and play all my guitars all the time. But it's like, okay, I know this guitar is good for this specific type of situation. Even if I might only be in that situation a couple of times a year, just knowing that I have that instrument for that, it's reason enough to keep it around. Random question. I'm obsessed with the Blue Man Group. The instruments you play there, does Blue Man Group own them or do you take your zither in? Normally, everything that we play there, they own. Uh, it is my job to maintain it. But that said, you know, this is a very weird, unique time that we're in. You know, the show, the last show that I did was on March 12th. From that moment till early July, you know, the Zither specifically sat in an empty theater, unused, untouched. And it's the kind of thing that it needs, if it's just sitting there uh, not used, it it could be damaged in a way, you know, because it, it's a very old instrument. It, it's, it's weird. It's like an instrument that wasn't really built very well, but it ha it's, like a, it's like an old vintage guitar. Like it, it has a vibe. It has something to it that you will not get in a newer instrument. So back in July, when we were allowed to go to the theater to fetch our belongings, I took this other home. When the show reopens, it'll go back to the show. Whether I'm part of it or not, you know, I don't know about that yet. It needs to be used. It's an instrument. I assume that most of the paychecks you get are W-2? Yep. Okay, and do you file your own taxes? Yes, I do. <gasps> wow! I, th I think you're the first. I, I do my taxes with my father. I guess you could say he's like my... Even though he's not an accountant, he's my accountant. He has always done his own taxes. And just as I was getting older, you know, it just 
kind of continued. You know, I guess when I, he would start, I guess there's a point where, yeah, you start filing separately. It, that's, it was like, okay, yeah, you know, when are you going to come over? We'll do your taxes. There's been many times where I'm like, no, next year I'm going to go to, a, you know, a, an accountant who specializes, you know, works with musicians. But I, I don't know. It's just always easy, you know, and it's like we have a a groove, a formula, you know, and have a W-2 from, from Blue Man. Some of these other gigs that I do, I have to, you know, like... Uh, 1099. I, 1099, yes, thank you. <laughs> I play live for uh, silent movies or movies in general. Do you know uh, Nighthawk Cinema? I do, but only because I've researched you. Oh, okay, okay, wow. Well, that's it's an amazing place that I've, I've been working at for... I promise when things come back, I will go. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you should. It's an amazing place. I mean, if you like to eat good food, drink good alcoholic beverages and watch a movie... That's the place to go. You know, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, they uh, that's like one gig that I've done pretty consistently for the past, yeah, almost eight years. I think eight years now. Um, so I, I get a 1099 from them. And, and then you yeah, have vari- various other gigs. So is, so is Blue Man the W-2 and then everything else is usually 1099? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's say outside of Blue Man Group, what job have you had that was the most financially lucrative? Wow. Can I say nothing? Uh, no job? You can, yes, you very much so can. <laughs> Nothing's jumping out at you, so. No, uh, I mean, okay. So when I got out of college, <clears throat> my main thing was to uh, to try to be a musician, live as a musician. But I had, you know, various part-time jobs, jobs that were very flexible. That so, if I needed to go out of town for any given amount of time, I could just do it and then come back and have that job. So they usually weren't great jobs, you know, minimum wage or yeah, I had some pretty crappy jobs. I could tell you. But the most lucrative, if I had to answer that, on and off for two years, I was a substitute teacher in New York City. And I, I say I've used the teacher part very uh, loosely, and I guess that was <laughs> yeah. the the closest I came to like having a, a, a good paying job prior to Blue Man. I was going to say this, this is a side note, but I've interviewed now three or four professors. They're designers, but they also have been teaching for a number of years. Right. Every time I talk to one, it's sort of like I should become a professor because it's just so steady. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It may not be the most well-paying, but the hustle is sort of removed from the equation. Yeah, I, I had the opportunity back then then to to get like a full-time teaching job as a music teacher at a high school in the city but you know this is yeah i was like you know a year or two out of college and again i had this like mind for this 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 attitude that i i need to try i need to like i don't want to like commit to a, a job like being a teacher at that time i mean sure you have your summers off and you get paid and still there's all this other time that that i'm losing you know and I and I couldn't do it, you know. I, I couldn't commit to that. And again, you know, it's also it's high school. It's a whole different, <laughs> whole different vibe from from college. Right. That's a whole different thing. Yep. Yeah. So, but but yeah. I mean, I, I certainly understand the you know the attraction to even a, a you know a grade school, high school to have a job like that. I mean, I, I love I love that your answer. <laughs> You've had so many music jobs, and your answer was substitute teacher. I mean, I mean, minusing Blue Man Group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you again pre Blue Man, if you want to like, yeah, talk about lucrative, then that that's it. Taking money out of the equation, what job or what music have you created that you're most proud of? That CD I created while in Iceland, Olafsfjörður. That is, at the moment, that is probably at the top. When I do these residencies. One of the things I love about doing them is that I create music in these places that I would never create here at home. Even though, you know, the music like I create, yes, it's me. Like you could hear it. Like, oh yeah, that's that's Jeff Gersh. That's what he does. But there's something about it that I would not create here in my apartment in Yonkers. And that's that's what I just love about creating music. It's like just a never ending like you evolve. You know, I did a I did a music another music residency all before just before all this coronavirus stuff happened in in Canada in Banff and I didn't approach it quite the same way as I did that the Iceland project but again I created music there that I I wouldn't have done here at home you know my because my, my my surroundings really affect how and what I create yeah that's amazing do you have a professional network and has it helped you make more money or how does it help you find paying jobs? Okay, so so yes, I definitely have a network, professional network, and that network is absolutely 
1,000% responsible for me having my job at Blue Man. Who, who got you that job or who, who told you about it? When I was in college up at New Paltz, I uh, met Jason Finkelman. He hosted a bunch of like workshops inviting different musicians up to New Paltz to, to give uh, concerts and workshops. And one of them was this guy, Bradford Reed, uh, who at the time was the full-time zither player in Blue Man Group. I graduated in 95, then in the summer of 1998, I went to go see Bradford perform. You know, afterwards we're talking and he's like, oh, you know, I, I think I might need a new sub at Blue Man. Would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nice. Well, I feel like you sort of answered this question. How much of your success has been hard work versus luck? There was hard work done. I, well, no. At, at different, sorry, at, at different points in my life, I feel like it's been more luck and more hard work. You know, I can't really say it's one or the other. Early on, it was hard work and then luck. If I didn't go out to see my buddy do his gig, would he have asked me to be his sub? Who, who knows? Who knows? I spent a lot of time practicing, you know, as, as a kid. And, you know, those teenage years sitting in my bedroom, practicing guitar, playing along to records. Um, so I think the hard work is, is, you know, is always there. I mean... You're not going to get hired. I mean, yes, you, there, there's luck, but you have to be able to show up <laughs> to hang, to, be a, to actually be able to do the job. Okay, heading, heading to wrap up a little bit. I know I've taken a lot of your time. If money wasn't an issue, what would your life's goal be? Honestly, to, doing what I'm doing now. Again, from a very young age, all I wanted to do was be a musician and play music. What I might add to that is... In recent years, like eight years ago, I, you know, this is completely non-music related. I got, I got certified uh, to be a scuba diver. You know, I would definitely take more exotic uh, scuba trips. <laughs> That's another passion that costs a lot of money. So, yeah, if, if money wasn't an issue, I'd be playing music and scuba diving. Yeah, you'd be zithering under the sea. Making an underwater zither, yeah. <laughs> what is some financial advice that you would give yourself when you started your career or would you give somebody else a musician that's just starting out right now don't don't use credit cards to live off of to fall back on yeah if you could avoid getting yourself even to even the most minute amount of debt do it you know i mean the only thing you know i don't know if, if like you need this piece of gear because you know you know you know it's for a specific gig that could then help generate money uh, maybe that's an exception you know but just stay away from the credit cards you know i think that's solid yeah and I, i'm sure a lot of people say that but it's definitely the truth definitely i would <laughs> definitely tell myself that and anyone else that and it seems like it's common sense but i, I don't know i guess for me back in the day it, it wasn't like i'm used to credit cards or whatever it's my way of life now with like venmo and square and all these things that just sort of act as debit cards people 10 years younger than me or 15 years younger than me i'm just curious how they i i wonder if they'll be like credit cards that's such an old-fashioned we don't do that anymore i don't i've never spoken to anyone that 10 15 20 years younger than me that that has grown up with that kind of stuff yeah i mean it's it's a very different world in terms of that i i've talked to people in their mid to high 60s on this podcast and i've also talked to people like in their late 20s credit cards have been mentioned by everybody i'm curious like as time goes on there's got to be a different way in bitcoin or whatever yeah oh yeah i don't even get i have no clue what that's about i've, I've tried reading about it and i'll buy a guitar i'll i'll you know but i don't i don't like gambling you know i've never like i don't understand the excitement of going to a casino and throwing down a hundred bucks and possibly like losing it all that's part of the excitement i don't i don't get that at all you know that that makes zero sense to me but everyone everyone has their thing you know totally is now a good time for students to study music i think any time is a good time to study music i mean i know in the grand scheme of like what the world is like in life i mean i don't know someone that might be a little bit more responsible than me might disagree but if that's what you feel you want to do and that's your passion yes absolutely the way people consume music and interact with music is way different from when i was a kid i used to go to record stores and buy records and buy things that I didn't even really know about. I would take these chances and yeah, it was just a very, very different way of consuming and, and interacting with music. You know, as far as making a living as a musician, it's, it's different than the, like, oh, I want to be in like the next Metallica and tour the world. And bands make their money in very different ways now. Mo you know, most of it 
is by touring. When I say bands, I mean, you know, the up and coming and even the mid-level bands, you know, they're not making money from record sales. It's merch and touring. You know, and I know there are a lot about like placement, having their music placed in movies and TV shows. There are so many different ways to make a living as a musician that is not being a rock star. I mean, of course, when I was a kid, yes, I wanted to be in the next Metallica and, you know, I quickly learned partly from working at record companies, you know, because that was part of the thing. Oh, yeah, you go get a record deal. But, you know, I realized getting a record deal is really not that much different from going to get a loan at a bank because that's basically what's happening. A, a, a company is putting money forward, investing in you, and you're not going to see a dime of uh, money until they have made their investment back. Some bands will, you know, partly luck and, you know, but obviously talent, they'll make that money back the second their record is released but some bands might it might take 20 years before they pay off that record that the record company put out for them you know so but anyway this is a very long-winded way of saying you know there's just so many different ways to make a living as a musician whether it's teaching whether it's playing in a wedding band the cover band yes now is a great time to be a musician to study and follow-up question in the same vein big cities are artistic hubs right now for musicians just getting started in their career, should they move to big cities? Or does that not matter as much these days? I, I think it really depends what they want to do and what their goal is. Because I think being in big cities, if you want to work with people, if you want to play, like perform with people, yeah, I would think you would want to be around the biggest, most diverse group of people that you can. So yeah, a bigger city would have that. If your goal is to sit behind the computer and really be, it's more about the production of music that might not be so as important because there's still ways to connect with people without actually meeting them for me being someone who plays live and enjoys playing live and working with other people <clears throat> moving to a city is probably a good choice now is definitely in, an interesting time to do that because there's not a lot of opportunities to make money doing that like i know you know there's definitely people moving out of New York City because there's just no gigs here right now. Okay, so I think you answered this sort of. Are you in any unions? I am not. Blue Man, as I mentioned earlier, it is a non-union show because of the type of show it is. It is not necessary for it to be union. For about two years, about, wow, yeah, eight, nine, ten years ago, I, I was a sub on a Broadway show for a couple of years. You know, if you work on one of those shows, you, I don't remember signing anything, but I guess I was in the union, you know, because they take dues from your check and take, put money into some retirement fund. Um, but no, I am not in a union and I don't feel the need to be in a union. I suspect, I don't know how the musicians union on Broadway works. If it's anything like the lighting design union, they took the dues and they took your money, but you'll never see it. I would suspect. Yeah, I, I, the very little that I know about, I, all, what I do know is that there's a lawsuit happening now because I think, again, going back to 2007, 2008, when, you know, the whole financial crisis, whoever was managing their retirement fund, I don't know, made, made some really bad choices. I think like within 20 years, that fund is going to run out. Um, unless, yeah, so it, it's not looking so good for those guys. So I am thankful that. <laughs> well, you helped them out a little bit by donating your portion that they took. A little, a little, a little. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'll see that one day. You know, because a lot of sometimes people ask me about that. If like, oh, you know, don't you want to? Isn't it better to be in, in a union? And I, I don't think so. I really don't think so. You know, I think Blue Man has been very. You know, no, no company is perfect, but Blue Man has been good to us. You know, it, it's. As a full-time employee there, I, I think things have been pretty good good for me. And I've never felt the need to be in a union or, yeah. What can we do to stress the importance of finance and savings to other artists? Um, when you're able to put money away, put money aside, you know, don't see that extra money as like, ooh, now I could go go out for dinner every night this week. I mean, I, you know, again, I'm saying this now. I, 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 these are definitely not words I've lived by <laughs> in the past, especially now, just because, you know, the world is such a weird place now. And just, just try to be as responsible as you can with your finances. If you can't do something next week, if you know there's something you want to do, whatever, buying a piece of gear, going on a vacation, traveling, do it when it makes most sense, and it's not going to like really hurt you financially in the moment. Okay, final two questions: What separates those that have a career in the arts uh, as a musician um, versus those that don't? I know so many musicians and artists, visual, you know, artists of all types that are incredible 
way better than professionals that are not making their primary living doing their art. They're still just as much of an artist. What makes you a professional? Like if you've done something for what, 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, and like you're an expert, you're, you're a professional. Now, of course, we, we look at prof- like a professional as I make my entire living as a musician. I guess that makes me a professional musician. While my buddy over here, you know, they're just as busy as I am, but they have this other gig that really, that's not music related, that is really sustaining them, you know, paying the bills. So, but, so what, what makes, you know, I don't know, luck, uh, going back to luck, because I, I don't think it has anything to do with like not working hard. I, again, and I know, and I see, I've seen artists and musicians of all types at all levels that are like, how did they get there? It's like, I don't want to like badmouth anyone, but it's like, really? It's like, they're getting all this exposure and people like their work. And it's like, what, what, what you know, what am I missing? I don't know. Sometimes they'll find themselves a manager that knows that has the right connections and talks the right way. So I, I, I do think, yeah, I think luck has, is part of that. Amazing. Interesting. Interesting theories here. Okay. Final question. Where can people find out more about you? I have several, a couple of websites. My website, that is my name, jeffgersh.com. That's spelled weird. G-E-O-F-F-G-E-R-S-H.com. And then the ambientfields.com project. And then I am also on Instagram at ambientfields. And those are the main places to kind of keep track of what I do and hear what I do. Nice. Uh, Well, I'll put links to all of those on the webpage for this episode. Great. All right, Jeff, I think I've exhausted all my questions. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. Yeah, yeah. it It was really great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. That was part one of our interview with Jeff Gersh. My takeaways were, save something for yourself. Even if it takes away from what you have now, put it aside for the future. Don't rack up debt, specifically on credit cards. Musicians can have day jobs as musicians. You can play music for work, you can play it as art, and you can play it for yourself. There isn't one set path, and each has artistry in its own way. Thanks for listening, and again, a special thank you to our listener from Hong Kong, And a special thank you to our Patreon patrons who get their shows early with bonus content. Check out the page at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. And check back in on Wednesday for part two of this interview. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Anne Nigrin Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu. <laughs> <laughs>